The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So this is the second talk on the topic of being mindful of ourselves, understanding, seeing, being present for for ourselves. And it's touching on a very important uh, Buddhist topic on uh, the self and what's often called not-self. Some people call it no-self. And this teaching of not-self, sometimes called no-self, lends itself to the idea that Buddhism, the important part of Buddhism is to teach that there is the idea, teach the idea that there is no self, which is very perplexing for people to hear sometimes. And uh, and uh, that's not really the question. Is there a self? Is there no self? Is not really the question that early Buddhism, the Buddha, was interested in answering. And uh, partly because that question, uh, what is the self, and various ideas of what the self is, is belongs a little bit more to the realm of philosophy even to metaphysics. What is real? What, who is the true, what is the real self? And uh, in, in the statement that there is no self is also a metaphysical, sta- metaphysical statement, philosophical statement about uh, what the nature of the self is, that the self, in fact, does not exist. So it's a metaphysical, ontological statement. Early Buddhism interest is uh, not who we are, but what we're doing, and especially what we're doing with our minds. So in that sense, instead of being philosophy or metaphysics, the Buddha was really a psychologist in the sense that he was interested in being aware of what the activities uh, that the mind is doing and to begin shedding those activities that cause suffering, uh, to be able to... Uh, um, uh, direct the mind to do those activities which are beneficial, that lead to a sense of abundance, to lead to a sense of freedom, possibility of freedom, and take us away from those which uh, drain us or that, those which diminish us or those that uh, leave us with a lot of suffering or distress, stress. So the question of what we're, do, what we're doing is more important from Buddha than who we are. And uh, I wanted to read a passage uh, where this, uh, I, th- I kind of find this amusing, or, but a passage where uh, the Buddha makes a statement that is quite surprising for people who may, are used to the idea that the Buddha said there is no self. The Buddha says, um, how does one attend unwisely? So attend, how is one paying attention to oneself? in an unwise way. Um, so th- this is a way, this is an activity of the mind to pay attention in a particular way. And so uh, what is unwise is this is ways that are trying to answer these questions. Was I in the past? Was I not in the past? Did I exist, for example, in a previous life? What was I in the past? How was I in the past? Having been what? What did I become in the past? Um, Shall I be in the future? Shall I not be in the future? 
What shall I be in the future? Uh, how shall I be in the future? For some people, this represents all the plans they make about the future. Future selves. What should, uh, how shall I, having been what, what shall I become in the future? Or else, one is inwardly perplexed about the present. As follows. Am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Where has this being come from? Where will it go? So these are some questions that many people, occurs to many people. It's, I think, reasonable to have these kinds of questions. And, um, but for the Buddha here, it says these are not wise questions to be engaged in and to answering. Uh, and the Buddha goes on to say, when someone attends unwisely in this way, one of six views, views here means philosoph- philosophies, um, arise in that person. The view, the se- a self, the self exists for me, arises as true and established. The view, no self exists, arises as true and established. Or the view, I perceive self with self, arises as true and established. I perceive not self with self, arises as true and uh, and established. Or the view, I perceive self with no self, arises as true and established. Or else, in this self of mine that speaks and feels and experiences here and there, the result of good and bad actions, but this self of mine is permanent, everlasting, eternal, not subject to change, and will endure for as long as eternity. These philosophical views are called a thicket of views, the wilderness of views, the contortion of views, the vacillation of views, the fetter of views. Uh, fettered by the fetter of views, the person is not free. So it's a bit, a bit of a mouthful, but the idea that all these, especially this idea of am I or am I not? Is there a self? Is there not a self? Instead, the Buddha is interested in seeing the process by which the mind operates, seeing how we cling and how we let go of clinging, how we can uh, uh, act in the world and speak in the world skillfully, wholesomely, in beneficial ways, and how can we can avoid the unwholesome and the harmful ways. And, um, and so this relates to this idea of self. Many, many of the uh, uh, self is, a, a, often, more often than not, the way that people operate around a self, uh, they, are called, they are selfing. This is a kind of modern English interpretation that uh, uh, self is not an activity uh, self is not a, a noun, a thing, but rather it's an activity, something we're doing, we're selfing. So if someone is uh, very conceited, they're selfing, they're making up a self, they're actively involved in creating a self. If they're arrogant, or if they're selfish. And these are forms of suffering for oneself and for others. And, um, and they're in the earliest strata of these early Buddhist teachings, um, before it kind of started to address the, really the philosophical issues around them. Um, uh, the idea of n- self and no self, not self, was not really present in that strata. It wasn't really a teaching that came out. 
what was the focus on was uh, in that in this regard of self was has to do with the activity of selfishness, the activity of of uh, arrogance, the activity of conceit, that the mind is doing something, it's actively involved, and um, and it, it, then when we study this, if we get quiet enough to really see what is this activity of selfishness that goes on, self preoccupation, self obsession, um, what is that? And one of them, we go to meditation. It's one of the things the meditators begin to discover. Um, they begin to discover how much selfing there is, meaning how much of the, the mental concerns and thoughts are swirling around the topic of me, myself, and mine. Um, and you can see that if you track the, your, the content of your thoughts, what you're actually thinking about, the chances are for most people, a very high percentage of their thoughts have to do with um, themselves. Uh, what you know? What happened to them in the past? What they're planning for the future? The fantasies they can be part of, um, and um, somehow or other, the self is a main character in the in the mind's thoughts. And it's not necessarily an innocent involvement, but uh, those thoughts and those concerns are driven by all kinds of uh, obsessions, drives, uh, desires, aversions that in themselves are agitating. They, they agitate the water on top of the lake so we can't see deeply into the lake. But, uh, meditation is the idea of quieting, um, not, this, not doing away with the lake, but rather quieting this very, very, very thin layer of the top of the lake where the water is choppy and agitated in the wind or something. And when that gets quiet, then what's available in a clear, beautiful lake is all the life and the clarity and the uh, and what's underneath the water. There's much more available under the water of the lake than there is just on the surface of it. And so to be able to see deep into the fish and to the, be able to see the rocks and the, the seaweed, the plants, it can be really inspiring. And um, so the same thing with the mind. Uh, things like selfishness, conceit, self-preoccupation, arrogance, um, is uh, is really kind of keeps the, the surface water of the mind agitated and uh, caught up in its preferences and its wants, and it doesn't allow us to see the depth and fullness of what goes on here. So to start noticing the activities of the mind that are called selfing, making a self, imagining a self, defending a self, apologizing for self, uh, uh, thoughts of uh, self-aggrandizement, the, uh, delusions of grandeur, um, delusions of miserableness and being bad, being awful. There's all these ideas that we glom on to the self. So as people get deeper and deeper in practice in Buddhism, uh, they are, uh, especially when people get enlightened, they get enlightened, they get liberated from many things, but one core list is called uh, in English, can be called the three influences, and um, and it works as a very well translation for asava, because um, one of the meanings is uh, an uh, influx, what flows in, and in, the word influence actually comes from the word to flow in, and so the things that influence us, and um, and if we start having this idea of me, myself, and mine, 
it's heavily influenced by three things, by uh, uh, pleasure, all kinds of pleasure. And some people are really organized their life around pleasure. And it's almost as if um, who they are is the pleasure or the recipient of pleasure, how they get confirmed who they are, how they know they're successful as human being, how they really enjoy who they are, is to have pleasure. And the desire, the, even the greed for pleasure, then is a, a strong influence for helping to form and shape uh, our ideas, uh, our view, our understanding, and our feeling, the inner felt sense of this is who I am. I'm, there's a self here. And the more the greed is, the more the desire for it, or the more the aversion to discomfort is there, that tension, that constriction, that pressure of those kinds of uh, motivations uh, translate to tensions in the, you know, to contractions of the muscles and, and kind of a constriction in different parts in the body. And that doesn't have necessarily unpleasant, but that coagulation, that coming together, uh, concentration in a sense of this, um, can give people a sense that, oh, there is a self here. That's the feeling of I am. And, but sometimes it's a feeling of I amness is just a gathering together of these tensions we have around desires and aversions and stuff. So early Buddhism you know, says that this idea, the big influence on, on where the self, ideas of self can arise is this pursuit for pleasure and, and, and uh, getting away from discomfort. The second has to do with um, our ideas, our views. Uh, the strong idea that I need to know and to have certainty and to have a philosophy and to be right um, and to uh, and so we glob, glom onto ideas of self, um, uh, both philosophically but also psychologically, or socially, or our identity, for example. So people can have very much the idea. Some people that uh, uh, they form the idea that they are bad, that they are inadequate, that they are somehow an embarrassment to the human race and, and they don't want to let people know who they are because they feel very inadequate or insecure. And, um, and that's an idea that the mind shapes with the help of maybe what happens around us in our society and what people tell us and treat us. But still, it's an idea and people glob onto these ideas and then that becomes their self organized around an idea. And because, again, there's tensions that arise and holding on that arises, that can seem like, oh, like I am. This, oh, this is solid. This is really the, where it is. But we're influenced by these ideas uh, of who we are. So ideas that I am a great. And then we go around with a high kind of self-esteem that is easily threatened, very fragile. And, uh, and you know, it's unrealistic, the, the delusion of grandeur, how special we are. Or I'm a person who uh, is powerful and who I am is my power and I need to have power over people to kind of feel good about myself because that's who I am. Or I am smart or I am beautiful or I am um, kind or I'm just a you know, mean SOB and, and that's who I am and so we lob on. Or people who have suffered suffered a lot sometimes lob, lock, kind of lock into the idea I'm the victim, or on and on and on all these ideas. 
So ideas of who we are have a tremendous influence in, in the selfing, creating of selfing. And the last one that the Buddha talked about, these three influences, is the attachment to uh, identity or to, to, uh, beca- to identity, to become something. And it's related to the first one, but it's much more simple and direct. Um, it's just the idea that, um, that I exist and, uh, you know, so the attachment to life, not wanting to die. So it's, it's very closely related to the attachment to being conscious and identifying myself as consciousness. And, um, and this idea, so these three influences, uh, pleasure, philosophies of self, ideas of self that, um, that we've created and adopted, psychological ideas, and then, uh, and then this uh, drive toward just feeling like we exist, we're alive, the attachment to being alive. These are forces that drive us and move us and are influences on us, drain us, that the Buddha says are not necessarily to be there. And so meditation practice is to, uh, and Buddhist practice, is to, um, is to end the influence on these things on our fullness, on our sense of abundance, on our aliveness, and our freedom that we have. And uh, someone who's fully enlightened no longer is influenced by all these forces. And that's a kind of good thing to, to become independent of, to exist and breathe and think and see, independent of these forces of selfing, creating a self, being a self, me, myself, and mine. Um, is, uh, that's really the primary focus of early Buddhism, much more so than uh, coming to an understanding that there is no self. That's not really there, as we'll see as we go on further in this, in this week. So um, I hope that was clear enough and and, uh, look forward to coming back here tomorrow. Be well.